All right, good morning. Whoa, wow, I am, I am lightning this morning. Exciting. How's everybody doing? All right, good, 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 good. Uh, my name is Dave Ferguson, and I am the lead pastor at Community, and I have the, just the privilege of overseeing uh, all of our locations, and I love it, love it, love it. And I am particularly enthusiastic. I, I am totally digging this series we're in, but, I, but really I think this morning, I think you're in for something that's really uh, could be life-changing for a lot of us in a very, very positive way. Uh, let me start with this. I kind of made an observation, I think both as a, as a parent and as a pastor, that uh, the kids aren't that great at remorse, or they're, they're not really that great at saying, I'm sorry. Anybody else notice that? Um, I, I remember, for instance, my, uh, my, my, my oldest, Amy, when she was, she was, still, she was still in preschool, we were, we were having church, a church event over at the Quincy Avenue facility. And that was a facility that we had before we had any other spaces over on Quincy Avenue. And, and, and her and some of her friends were just running around like crazy people, crazy little people, way out of control. And she's probably like four at the time. And I remember I, I finally said, Amy. I stopped her. And I looked at her and I said, I don't want to see you running anymore. And, you know, she, cute little thing, just nods her head at me. Okay, okay. I mean, it's like three or four minutes later, right? I'm talking to somebody and there's like this blonde blur that just goes flying past me. And it was Amy. And she's just like full speed. And so I, I stopped her. And I, I, I said, come here. And I got down and I said, I looked at her and I said, Amy, were you running? And she says to me, she says, Daddy, I'm sorry. But I don't know. I wasn't watching my feet. <laughs> kids are not great at saying I'm sorry. Um, I came across a website. There's some funny things. There's some funny ways that kids actually try. They try to say they're sorry. And here's a few of them. See, see what you think. This first one, it kinda, he gets right to the point. He just says this. Sorry because of nothing. <laughs> there it is right there. Like, sorry because of nothing. All right? Okay, then there's this great apology to Santa. I guess it was after Christmas. He says, or maybe it was like Christmas Eve in, in advance. Dear Santa... Sorry about the cookies. We didn't have any ginger. We, sorry, about, sorry about the cookies. We didn't have any, and our gingerbread made us vomit. <laughs> this next one, this next one's, I think, my favorite one. Uh, and I think the, the context, I think Miss P must be the teacher, and Brady must be a classmate, so he's forced to write this letter to Brady. Dear Brady, Miss <laughs> P made me write you this note. All I want to say is sorry for not being sorry, because I tried to feel sorry, but I don't. Oh, I want to beat that kid. Um, now, while kids might be good at remorse, or um, not good at remorse, I think they are. I think they are quick to forgive. You know, you know what's about kids? I mean, they'll be fighting one minute, and the next minute they're friends again. You know, they're, they're, they're beating up on each other. The next thing you know, they're just having a, a, a big old time. Now, adults, on the other hand, on the other hand, adults, I think we're, we're, we're probably better at feeling remorse, but when it comes to forgiving, I think we've got a long ways to go. This is a hard one. And today what we're doing, we're continuing this series, Thy Kingdom Come, and we're in this series, we're talking about uh, what it would look like if Jesus' famous prayer, Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done, on earth as it is in heaven, what if it was actually answered? And actually answered not by kind of supernatural intervention, but what if it was actually answered by us, just by the way we live our lives? And one of the things we've done the last two weeks, very intentionally, we kind of defined the kingdom of God. And we said the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is when God gets what God wants. 
Right? When God gets what God wants. Help me out. I want to make sure you get this. What's the kingdom of God? That's exactly right. All right, you got that. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. When you say that, it kind of makes God sound like this cosmic narcissist, right? But here's the thing. God does not operate the way we do. It turns out that God's self-interest is always in everyone else's best interest. All right, if you're looking for something to kind of take away from that, that's a good one right there. God's self-interest is always in everyone else's best interest. Now, my self-interest is about me. And I can tell you, me getting what me wants is not going to be necessarily good for you. And quite frankly, it wouldn't even be good for me. But here's the thing we have to get. When God gets what God wants, the world becomes a place where, where love and peace and joy, they all rule. When God gets exactly what he wants, our world works. Every part of it, the way he intended it. Our cities work. Our communities work. Our families, our marriages work. Even our businesses work. And guess what? When God gets what God wants in every way, your life, your very life, it'll work the way he meant for it to work in the very beginning. And when God gets what God wants, this world becomes a place of, and here's where we're going to head today, forgiveness. It becomes a place of forgiveness. There's a guy by the name of John Plummer. John was sitting in his living room. This goes back a couple decades now. Just reading, watching TV when, uh, when this image flashed across his TV set. It was a picture from the Vietnam War, and uh, you've probably seen it. It's probably the most famous picture from that era. How many have seen? All right, almost, I think, everybody. It's a photo that touched the hearts of a million. I actually won a Pulitzer Prize. But for Plummer, it was particularly agonizing to look at because he was a pilot in Vietnam and he was part of the squadron that dropped the napalm that day. In his own words, he said, I was the one, at least I felt like I was the one responsible for this girl's agony. The TV announcer identified the girl and said that she's now living in Toronto, Canada. Well, as God would have it, that same year, Plummer went to the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. And it just so happened on that very day that this girl, who is now a young lady or a woman uh, named Kim, was scheduled to speak at a memorial service in Washington, D.C. at the Vietnam Memorial. Imagine this. And, of course, John sat there listening, riveted to every word as she began to talk on and about forgiveness. And she said these words. She said, if I could come face to face with a pilot who dropped the bombs. Imagine sitting there and he's hearing this. She said, I would tell him we cannot change history. But we should try to do good things for the present and for the future to promote peace. And as he heard that with a trembling hand, he began to scribble out a note, hoping he'd give her this note, give Kim this note. But the ceremony quickly ended, and she was kind of rushed away to a waiting car. And he thought he'd missed his opportunity, but a friend grabbed him, pushed him through the crowd. They got to the waiting car just before she got in, and he handed her the note. Kim read the note. Plummer writes these words. He said, after she read my note, she turned and looked into my eyes. Her face was full of compassion, and she opened her arms. And I fell into her arms saying the only words that came to me, I am sorry, I am so very sorry. And she said the words that I needed to hear, that I so needed to hear, I forgive. I forgive you. And in that instance, 
the remorse was gone and the burden lifted. And he concludes, he says, when I couldn't forgive myself, God helped me find forgiveness from the person from whom I needed it most. In retrospect, and as I heard more about the story, both John and Kim, over the last several years, had found their way back to God. And both of them said that moment, that moment on either end never would have happened if they didn't have, please hear me about this, they wouldn't have had the courage, either one of them to do it, if they didn't have the spirit, okay, the spirit of the living Jesus inside of them, the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, Jesus. That's an inspiring story. And you know what that story is right there? Let me just, let's just pinpoint it. Let's call it what it is. That's God getting what God wants. Am I right about that? That's God getting what God wants. Now, we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning, but I also want to acknowledge something right up front, okay? Forgiveness is not easy. Let's just, let, let, let me be really clear about this. This is not easy. This is incredibly difficult stuff. And some of you know even better than I do. You know all too well. And maybe for you today, the hurt that you feel, okay, and the forgiveness that you need to extend is to someone who did something directly to you. Maybe somebody betrayed you. Maybe, maybe they just lied right to you. Maybe they stole from you or stole something from you. Maybe it was somebody that took advantage of you. And you trusted them. Or maybe it's somebody, it's somebody that should have loved you, but they ignored you. Or maybe they neglected you. Or maybe even worse, maybe they, they even abused you. And then there are also times when there's hurt that comes because of just systemic wrongs and systemic injustices, like racism. There's a hurt that's caused just because of your skin color. Or classism. There's a hurt that's caused just because of your socioeconomic kind of class or status. Or sexism. There's a hurt that comes your way just because of your gender. And whether it's direct or indirect, this thing we're talking about today, let's just be real honest about it, okay? On our own, this forgiveness thing, it does not come easy, and it certainly doesn't come instantly. But here's the thing. Here's what's at stake. If, as followers of Jesus and those who are investigating the possibility of following Jesus... If we're serious about bringing heaven to earth and giving God, that means what God wants, God gets. That means this forgiveness thing has to just kind of become a part of who we are. Now, here's the great thing. We have an example. The example is Jesus. Jesus walked among us, and he modeled this life of forgiveness. One of his closest followers, a guy by the name of John, actually began to watch him in encounter after encounter after encounter, and he actually wrote this book called John. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, the fourth book in the New Testament. He wrote all about these different encounters. One of the encounters in, in chapter 8 of John's book starts like this. And it says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. and They said to Jesus, Teachers, this woman here was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, they commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? A little parenthetical note here. They were using this question as a trap in order to have him, or to have a basis for accusing him. Now, now when we pick up this story right here, there, there's a tremendous amount of tension between the religious leaders and Jesus because Jesus' teaching was kind of, we've already hit some of this stuff, was, was, was counterculture, contrary to con- conventional wisdom. And, and, and they were losing power. And the religious leaders decided they were going to set him up. They wanted to catch him doing something or saying something wrong so they could either prosecute him by law or maybe even have him killed. So they, they bring this woman before Jesus. 
And they figured, now we've got to back to a corner. They caught her in the act of adultery. Now, it's always been kind of curious to me. It says they caught her in the act of adultery, right? Where's the guy? Right? I mean, they caught her in the act, right? So where's the guy? Well, that's probably another message for another time. So what's really going on here is she's just kind of a pawn in the scheme of hers. So they dragged her out, out here, and, they, and, they, and they're saying, here she is, she's an adulterer. And they think that he has to respond one of two different ways. And either way, they're going to get him. The first way that you would have to respond is to condemn her. Okay, to condemn her. Now, in their day, much like today, adultery it was, it was an offense that was taken very seriously. According to the religious, the religious law, they could actually have her stoned to death. However, stoning her to death was actually went against kind of the Roman peace laws. So what does he do? Does he kind of go ahead, yeah, stone her to death like the religious law says? Because if they do, then they get him. If he says that, then he's in trouble with the government, right? And they can prosecute him. What about you? When someone hurts you, now we don't literally throw stones, but isn't one of the more common ways we respond when someone offends us is to condemn them. You know, kind of like, no, I am right and you are clearly wrong. And we take this position, we hold this position, and we kind of demonize that person, we make a monster of that person, and we rehearse things in our brain about that person. We say things like, you know, how could they do this to me? The nerve that they have. This person owes me big time. They were so wrong. And we rehearse it over and over and over again. It's fascinating. Brain researchers ran across this week. They actually tell us that when we dwell on these vengeful thoughts, it actually stimulates what they call pleasure centers in our brain. So you know that, that good feeling you get when you think about vengeful things? It's actually, it's actually a biological response. Actually, it does actually feel good to think of vengeful thoughts. To, to kind of, to kind of, how am I going to get revenge? To condemn somebody. It's pretty intoxicating stuff. But this first way of condemning wasn't Jesus' way, and it's not the way of kingdom people. Well, the religious leaders thought, well, if he doesn't pick the first way, then maybe he'll, then he'll have to pick the second way. And the second way, then, if you don't condemn somebody, is to ignore somebody. Just ignore the whole thing. See, if he ignores it, then they can say, well, religious law says this, and you're not following the religious law. You are a heretic, and they can discredit him. Sometimes when we get hurt, we get wrong. Instead of dealing with the wrong, um, some of us, particularly those of us in the room, maybe that are more tender-hearted, we do want to just kind of dismiss it, kind of sweep it under the wrong, under the rug, forget about it, and we'll say things, or maybe just think things like, That's, it's, "It's not that big of a deal. I'll get over it. I'm fine. Teach his own." But that's not the way of kingdom people either. Not to condemn or to ignore. A guy named Pete Cesaro wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and it's a terrific stuff, and he talks about how to be an emotionally healthy adult, and he kind of breaks into the developmental stages of an emotionally healthy infant, and then a child, and then an adult. And he says, we can actually get stuck at a particular stage in our emotional development. And if you think about the first way of condemning or the second way they thought he would respond of ignoring, Cesaro, he says this in his description of emotional children. He says this, emotional children, they complain, they withdraw, they manipulate, they take revenge, they become sarcastic when they don't get their way. (laughs) You just feel familiar? (laughs) They have great difficulty calmly discussing their needs and wants in a mature, loving way. And what he's saying is that we decide either to take the first way of condemnation, the second way of just kind of ignoring it, 
What we're doing is really kind of remaining at the emotional level of a child. And that's not what kingdom people do. So here's what, what does Jesus do? Let's pick it up. What does Jesus do? It says he does this. Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he listened to, listened to them. And then he says this to them. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. <laughs> they weren't expecting that one, were they? But then again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. So in that moment, I want you to take hold of this. Okay, he doesn't, he doesn't condemn her, right? He doesn't ignore it. He actually chooses this third way, and this is the way of kingdom people, so that God can get what God wants, and that is he forgives her. Let's go back to you. How are you going to get to forgiveness? What is it? Well, let's be clear about what forgiveness is not. All right? Forgiveness is not uh, something that immediately takes away the pain and the hurt. Forgiveness is not immediately also just change the past. Forgiveness is also not, and please hear me this. This is where we get, I think, uh, we, there's a really important nuance. Forgiveness is not you choosing to trust that person again, necessarily. Does that make sense? It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to reconcile with that person. That takes two parties. Forgiveness is what you're doing on your side of the equation. It's neither of those things. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness in some ways is kind of like saying, okay, you have a debt, I'm canceling it. A debt relationally, a debt uh, emotionally, maybe a debt spiritually, maybe even a debt financially, quite frankly. But you Forget it, it's canceled. Forgiveness means understanding what's been done has been done, and I'm choosing not to condemn. For me personally, and I, maybe hold on to this, I think this is, when you get to the place of forgiveness, and you've worked it all the way through, and it's a journey. I wish we had more time to talk about that. When you get there, forgiveness is when you get to the place where you want what's best for that person that's hurt you. You may not be necessarily involved in it, but you want God's best. Does that make sense? You want God's best for that person who's hurt you. And notice something else about Jesus' forgiveness. Jesus forgives her before she even asks for forgiveness. Did you catch that? And this is something Jesus models for us. And if you fat models for us, if you, and if you fast forward all the way through his life to get to the very end, Jesus is on the cross with his arms stretched out. He's dying there. And he prays this prayer to God. And he says this, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And that wasn't just a prayer of forgiveness for the Roman soldiers, but that was also, okay, people here. Naperville, okay, August 2015. It was a prayer for you and a prayer for me. Check this out. And this is something really important to know theologically, but also personally. Jesus forgave you. He forgave you before you ever even asked for it. Before you ever even asked for it. And so what we see in Jesus is that he uses forgiveness. What he does is he becomes a bridge builder, not a case builder. Instead of trying to build a case against this girl, this woman, 
He tries to build a bridge to her. And Jesus does the exact same thing with you. He doesn't build a case against you, because that would be easy to do against me or you, right? But instead, he tries to build a bridge to you. And when, the, when God's Spirit actually comes to life, the Spirit of Jesus comes to life inside of us, all of a sudden now, because right now you're going, I don't know if I can do this. It's that hard. But now when His Spirit comes to life inside you, He empowers you supernaturally to, be, to do the same kind of thing where no longer are you continually over and over and over again building a case against somebody, but you're building a bridge towards them. I don't think any of us are going to soon forget the tragic events at um, Emmanuel uh, African uh, Methodist Episcopalian Church in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. That happened this past summer when a young white man walked into that church building and killed nine brothers and sisters after sitting there in a Bible study for an hour. I also hope, though, I also hope that we'll long remember what transpired in the days following that shooting, particularly the arraignment hearings. Do you guys remember this? I, I won't forget this. I, I, was, I was sitting at our kitchen table, and I think it was just, it was kind of like just, I think maybe, I think it was, a, I wasn't working that day, and I was paying bills, and I actually, I had my phone on, I had my phone there, and I had, I was kind of just streaming the news on CNN, just what was going on. And they cut away to, they cut away to the arraignment hearings, where the families of the victims were there, and they were actually looking the shooter in the eye, via video, able to talk to this person. And I have to tell you, I mean, it, was, it almost just like took my breath away. I was just stunned. I was in awe. And um, as one family member after another said, I forgive you. Uh, here's just a small portion of that moment. I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I would never talk to her ever again. I would never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. You know, I forgive you, my family forgive you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent. Confess. Give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ. We welcome you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts, but as we say in a Bible study, we enjoyed you, but may God have mercy on you. I've, I've, I've never seen anything like that in my life. And so here they were speaking through just unbearable tears and unbearable pain and offering forgiveness to someone who absolutely didn't deserve it. And even that, that last lady with a shaky voice and a quivering lip, you could hear her saying, and we welcomed you and we enjoyed you. I mean, who does that? Who does that? Who does that? I mean, journalists that were covering this case, I mean, they, they, they were speechless. And I mean, I, stood, I was sitting there in the, in the kitchen, and it was just like, 
It was just astounding. I mean, I've taught on this topic a lot, but just to hear those words. And I think what we were witnessing during that arraignment hearing through those precious Christ followers in Charleston, South Carolina, is we got a glimpse of God's will being done on earth as is in heaven. God getting what God wants. People, I don't want to underestimate how hard this is for you. Let me challenge you just a couple different ways. For some of you, today's the day. Even before you have lunch, you need to get on the phone and you need to call somebody and you say, hey, I forgive you. They're ready to receive it. You know they're ready to receive it. You've been the holdout in that relationship. Today's the day. That's, that's, some of you need to get on the phone and do that. There's others of you that maybe the best thing you can do is you need to write a letter because you're not sure how they're going to receive it, but for some of you, you need to write a letter and then send that letter to them and then it, it's on them to how they're going to respond. Some of you need to write the words, and it's really for you. Okay, that's why we forgive as much. It's for us. You need to write a letter because you're never going to send it because they're never going to receive it. But you need, to, you need to pen those words. And maybe, maybe in some cases they're not even around or alive to receive it, but you need to write out those words as it becomes a declaration for you. Does that make sense? For some of you, this whole thing is so, so, so hard that maybe what you need to do is you just need to Maybe even this morning, just begin to pray and say, okay, God help me. God help me forgive. Help me no longer to condemn. Help me no longer to ignore. But help me to get to the place where I do want the best for that person. What is it for you? Because as kingdom people, what we want is we want to see heaven come to earth. And what we want is we want what God wants. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. And this is a tough, tough topic. But we know that because um, your son traded his life for it. That's how serious it is. And so, Lord, for every one of us who have been hurt, who have been wronged, and that's all of us, all the ignoring, the stuff that we swept under the rug, I ask that you help us to stop doing that. All the condemning, the rehearsing over and over again about how right we are and how wrong they are, Lord, I ask that you help us to stop doing that. But God, give us the courage through your spirit to choose a third way. And that is forgiveness. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.